Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Meta Sandefour Artest attended St. John's University before being drafted 16th to the Chicago Bulls in 1999. Meta has also been a part of the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers, where he won an NBA championship. He even ventured overseas to play in China. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Meta Sandefour Artest reflects on his NBA career, his mental health in the healing process, and his new pickup basketball app, X vs. X. Hey, Meta, it's Carlos. Can you hear me? Carlos, I hear you. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Doing great, man. Sorry for all the interruption, but yeah, it's good to be on your show. Yeah, no, I'm a real pleasure. Been a longtime fan, so it's, uh, it's good to see you. Are you in New York, L.A., or where are you? I'm in L.A., Los Angeles. Okay, okay. I, for some reason, I thought you were in New York. Did you ever move back to New York or no? No, when I left New York, I never, I never moved back. Interesting. You miss it at all or no? I mean... I, I don't necessarily miss it because I've been, I've been away when I was 19. I got drafted. Right. So now I'm just, uh, I'm 41. I've been out of New York for 21 years. So, you know, I mean, I, I still feel a lot of uh, connection to New York City. I still love New York, but, you know, my kids had, you know, a life in different parts of the country. So, you know, I'm more focused on my kids than anything. Andrew, how many, uh, how many kids do you have? I got four. I got uh, one kid at UCI. Irvine, one kid at CSUN in Northridge, and I got another girl in college, and then I have a, a daughter about to go to college. No, and who's the most like you of the four kids? Anyone? Uh, anyone remind you of yourself? Yeah, I think of they all. They all have different characteristics. I think um, my stubborn side kind of fed off a little bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, 
but they all kind of different. We all very similar in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And and what about you? Have um uh, uh do you have any brothers or sisters, or are you an only child? I got ten siblings. Wow. And forty nieces and nephews. Come on now. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, Bill, were family. you? Now, were you the best basketball player growing up? Or if I had asked people at a family barbecue who was the best, who would they have said back in the day? Out of my family, I definitely was the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Was, my little brother was really good, Daniel Artest. Daniel Artest was really good. And my dad was pretty solid. Huh. But I did have other family members, like my cousin Butchie was okay. My cousin, um, um, my, my, well, my, my uncle-in-law, uh, Kenny was pretty solid. We did have a couple good family members. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, when did you start getting good? Like, we're because some of the guys I know, you know, knew from early on that they were going to be an elite player, and you could see it at seven, eight, nine, ten. Other people kind of needed that kind of junior high moment, you know, to really get somewhere different. When did you become a top tier player? I think I started to become good at the age of about 14, 13, 14. I started to really uh, get on the court and play with the older guys. Um, and I wasn't, uh, and it was more just toughness. It was more um, savviness that I learned. Um, I wish I would have learned a little bit more skills, but in terms of the savviness and the toughness, I learned that, you know, playing against older guys. Interesting. Yeah, no, you always brought a toughness to it. Who was, uh, who was your hero growing up? Who was your favorite player or two? I mean, uh, my first player that I kind of grew attached to was B.J. Armstrong, just because um, I remember him hitting a shot against the Pistons in the corner. Right. <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. And then I, oh, I like that guy. First time I watched basketball. So he always just, like, come to mind. But Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, um, Gary Payton, Hakeem Olajuwon also, um, I was watching those guys a lot when I was younger. Interesting, because I'm trying to think – about like who your game reminded me of because part of what I loved and admired about you was you not only had the defensive toughness but I felt like there was a moment when you became for my money one of the five or ten best offensive players in the game I know no one ever talks about that but you had that beautiful deep three from the corner you know what I'm talking about you could hit the deep three from the corner and I felt like you had a little bit of time there when when you gave people the whole package and so I don't know whether I should be saying Jimmy Butler or someone else, but who reminds you of yourself these days? Well, in, in my prime, um, when, when I was in my prime, I, I think um, it was, I like Kawhi. I think if I would have had a more yes. stable career yes. from Indiana Pacers right before I got suspended. But the only difference between a guy like Kawhi and myself is I wasn't as stable mentally as Kawhi is. Huge, huge difference. Um, I was really detrimental to my team, my teams. I was uh, also not uh, reliable, right? A guy like Kawhi is reliable. He's stable. He had a really tough upbringing with his dad passing away. And, uh, you know, he was able to get through that and still focus on the court. Whereas when I went through different things, I couldn't really at that time deal with it, you know? But I think, like, that, that's the guy I think if I had a more stable career, that's someone I probably could have maybe played like. You know, you know, Meta, I really like that. And I have to tell you, again, uh, I was a guy rooting for you from afar. I really admired after uh, you hit that nice shot for the Lakers to win. 
And when you did the, um, because remember, you messed up about a minute before that. You remember that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in the greatest rhythm. And I don't think it was a mess up. It was more a thing where when I came to the Lakers, I was averaging 22 in the playoffs against the Lakers. Okay. And uh, the year before that. And we was the only team to take them to game seven. Right. They beat every other team bad that year uh, in the playoffs. But then when I got to the Lakers, Kobe, RIP my brother Kobe, Powell, Bynum, Fisher, Lamar, Shannon Brown, Sasha, Luke Walton, so many great players. You know, Josh Powell, who didn't play much, but he could, he could score. Um, so many really good players, right? Um, even Jordan Farmer was a good scorer. So, the, the, you know, you, you wasn't always in a rhythm. And those guys had it worse than me because they never got a chance to get into a rhythm. Oh, interesting. So you're saying you're saying as a reserve, sometimes you come off the bench, no time to warm up, in the middle of a tough, hot situation. The game's on the line. Yes. And some guys can do what your man B.J. Armstrong did or your man John Paxson did and hit the game winner. Right. And some guys might airball a little bit, and, uh, and it may not. Well, well I don't know. If it's a, some guys just don't like that situation, right? Some guys don't want to be the seven man some guys grew up a starter and they used to be in the man so they actually look worse in that position because they don't want to play a role right but i was one of those guys where i said okay you know just get get comfortable you know being a role player and i had to really get comfortable and put my mind as a role player and i literally had to do that for the i, I had to do it for like five years I, I, into my career i was a role player <laughs> for the end of my career and, and and who helped you with that? I mean, did you just do that on your own? Did your man Kobe come to you in a quiet moment and say, you know, I need you to think like this instead of that? Who helped you with that? Because um, I, I know for guys like Dwayne Wade, that, that was a very hard thing. For guys like AI, a very hard thing. You saw Melo got pushed out of the league. It was so difficult, not just to be being a starter versus reserve, but not even being the main starter. He was so emotionally used to that, that it was difficult. But who who helped you get used to that? Because so many of us in life have to go from the starter to a reserve, and that's it, it's never easy, right? No, it's never easy. I think I think what really helped me was just the team, uh, the, the, the culture, and, you know, the team was built around Kobe and Powell. And then everything, everybody else fit in. And you were either going to be a part of it or you're not, right? And I just chose to be a part of it. Interesting. How much did you ever get any advice or did you have any kind of relationship with Dennis Rodman? Because in a lot of ways, I saw you guys as parallel guys, meaning that you both were roughly 6'7", 6'8". You both were ferocious rebounders, tenacious defenders, uh, strong, tough, but also athletic. He never developed the offensive uh, ability that I think you had. Um, but but on the defensive side and on the tough guy side, he had a lot of that. And he also, you know, struggled with being reliable. He struggled with mental health. Did you ever get to know him? And did you guys ever talk about that? We never talked about, like, mental health or nothing, but we, had, we often vibe. You know, I changed my number 91. I wanted to win a championship in his number. Um... I mean, I was the Bulls were one of my favorite teams, and I was an All Star. Michael Jordan's number, you know. Uh, and then, 
the next year, I went to the World Robins and I got suspended that year. And I got suspended in Detroit in Robin's number, which is crazy. But, you know, I, I always wanted to be like him. Um, now, offensively, no, nah, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to, you know, do a little bit more. But, um, but I always, but he was the guy where I was like, I want to play with passion like that. And, and who intimidated you, if anyone, Ron? Um, uh, who, who intimidated you? I mean, I'm not going to say anybody intimidated me because, you know, one of the things that I always, you know, I mean, fighting was something I always wanted to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I just grew up in a, I see the, the I don't, I'm not going to say nobody intimidated me, but what I can say is I got tired of a lot of uh, things that happened before the NBA in life. So I told myself, um, no matter who it is, bigger guy, the biggest dealer, um, the biggest gangster, if I ever had a problem, I'll handle it myself. And, 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 and I, unfortunately, I had to walk around with that shield on. I wish I never had to walk around with that shield because quite often I was ready to go, you know, to bat or to war, no matter what city or state I was in, no matter whose neighborhood I was in. I was always on edge when I felt like someone was trying to punk me because I had been punked before as a kid. So, you know, it was a staple in my life. And, 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 and it's not just people. It's also uh, any person, any uh, or anybody oppressive, anyone. Um, and that's why I often turned off a lot of people. It wasn't just like the physical threats that I had when I was younger. It was also social threats. And then I, I grew this, um, I had this shield that I just couldn't let go. I wish I, wish I had no shield. <laughs> I wish I was vulnerable. You know, I wish I was a little bit more scared, <laughs> honestly. I wish I was a little bit more weak um, because um, it wasn't comfortable. At, at a point in time, it became too much. You know, at a point in time, it's like I'm going out and I'm by myself and I was just like waiting for someone, you know, to try to test me, right? That's not the way to live. Um, and it's only because of how I grew up. That's the main reason. You know, when you see your, when your cousins come home from getting beat with a bat, you know, and beat and can't even think straight 30 years later, you know, you feel a certain way off. One of your friends gets shot up five times. You feel a certain way. Right, multiple multiple friends just shot up. Uh, you know, different things like that. You 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 start to feel a certain way, and people don't see that. They when you're playing with that jersey on, they don't even know how you're thinking. <laughs> you know, they don't even know. But in my mind, it's not for me to explain, and it's not for me to even care what how somebody views me. And that's how I thought about. That's how I was thinking about life when I first started in the NBA. And it was very unfortunate because I was so talented and I didn't seize that moment. The moment I seized was like, who want, who want drama? You know, anybody, anybody that wanted, I'm ready, you know? And that's not the way, that's not, that's not a way uh, to live, you know? And, uh, but with that being said, um, I'm fortunate to have come out on the other side. I'm fortunate to have found parts of myself that I um, was able to tap back into. You know, when you tap into the purity of a child when the child is born, 
out the wound of a woman, all that purity. I, I, I'm so fortunate I was able to tap back into that. And, and, and how were you able to do that, Meta? Because what I was going to say to you earlier is that part of my appreciation for you was not just your skill on the basketball court, but when you hit that game winner for the Lakers in the championship, your willingness to, in a very humble way, say that you had wrestled with mental health and that you had gotten good help and that you thanked your therapist on that, that was not the norm at the time. And I felt like you did something valuable for a lot of people in being that vulnerable. I mean, I think you were vulnerable in that moment in service of other people. So who helped you get on that road to getting help and maybe being able to live a different way? I think it was a mix of, you know, um, uh, court-mandated stuff, a mix of, you know, the organizations uh, seeing from the outside in that this kid is really uh, troubled. You don't really see, you can't really see it when you're inside of it. You know, um, and I think it was a mix of it was a mix of public help from the court system. Uh, you know, some people put the court system down. But honestly, one time I would say it was good um, when I was mandated my anger management classes. And then after my mandated classes uh, or sessions, I continued on with the same therapist that was mandated by the court. Actually, <laughs> I just kept going. And that was the, that's the, that was the lady that I thanked. Um, when I was in Houston, I mean, when I was with the Lakers, she was mandated in Sacramento, carried out through Houston, and I continued on. And, you know, just I would, I'm just so fortunate. You know, uh, uh, Meadow is funny. And I hope you forgive me. Uh, I keep wanting to call you Ron because, uh, you know, right. I, 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 you know, I mean, I've cheered for you so many times as Ron, uh, but obviously respect uh, uh, the name Meta. Um, but, but, I um, there was a wonderful comedian from New York named Ida Rodriguez. Have you ever come across her? No. I Have you seen any of her comedy? No. She's she's wonderful. You'll enjoy her. And but she talks about um, mental health and all that trauma that builds up in a lot of us, and and what ends up happening, and are you able to move past that and and process it and and get to a better place. And so I'm glad I'm glad that you did. Did any of the uh, older ball players try and help you out? So back in the day, Willie Mays, um, uh, who I got to meet uh, way back in the day, told me that he, for example, had gone to meet with a young O.J. Simpson back when O.J. was still in junior high and having issues, and Willie was a big star. But people in the neighborhood said, hey, we need you to meet with this young fella because he's having troubles. And, and he did that. I know Michael Jordan used to do that with T.O. back when T.O. was in the league and having issues. I know Michael Jordan flew in uh, private to come sit with T.O. and say, hey, you know, I think there's a better way to go. Did any of the uh, any of the old guys try and come and talk to you a little bit and try and get you, you know, to move forward? A lot of guys. I mean, my rookie year, Dickie Simpkins, um, B.J. Armstrong. And when I came in rookie year, I came in hot. I came in just like Ron Artest. First practice, I had a fight with Tony Kukoc. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> came in hot. No. <laughs> first practice. Okay. Literally, body slam Tony Kukoc. Ooh. And, and um, I came in on edge, and I stayed on edge. The problem also was I was drinking too much alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm, like, going through things. I'm, like, you know, I made, I made some cash. I don't want to deal with nothing. I can buy as much Hennessy as I want now. And 
and but that was a huge problem for me. I didn't realize that drinking that much alcohol made things that much worse. You know, I thought that it was, I, I thought I would be able to drink and this could go away, but that's not that. That that's just not reality. Were, were, were you drinking in college, or you didn't start drinking heavily till you got to the to the league? Well, I was always focused on basketball. Honestly, I did. I started drinking my first time New Year's. I think I was fourteen years old, but I never drink. But on New Year's, the first times I drunk was only on New Year's, and I got hammered one time in my neighborhood. Right, just drunk everything. And I never. But after that, I just played basketball. I wasn't into women, wasn't into marijuana, and wasn't into alcohol. But when I got to college. You know, um, I started to dibble and dabble a little more with, you know, college parties, which is okay. And then when I got to the NBA, I started to really drink a lot. You know, um, I used to have gallons of Hennessy, and we used to see how many gallons of Hennessy that we can have in in the house before we have to throw all the bottles away. <laughs> and literally, we'd go through a gallon of Hennessy a day, me and my friends. Um, but the problem was I was going to practice. And when I'm, I'm going to practice, intoxicated, right? So... And then you try to smoke some marijuana to ease it, but that don't help. <laughs> and then you you paranoid and drunk. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so um, I did have veterans that was trying to help me. Reggie Miller was, you know, uh, really always trying to support, but I never let people in my feelings. I never let veterans get in. Even Charles Oakley brought me to his house one time. You know, he gave me some suits, but I never let people in. And they always try. So I, I, when I reflect on those the times, I'm like, wow, these veterans really did try to help me. They really did. Well, it, looking back, looking back now, if, if if a young guy who's similar to you coming in hot, same sort of issues, knowing everything you know now, how should someone approach him? How how could we help a young guy like that not have to take 10, 12 years, not have to have the thing that happened in Detroit happen? Like, like, how would we help a young fella out earlier? Well, Detroit, I mean, the thing that happened with me in Detroit, that was somebody that hit me. I couldn't, I can't, I can't look a guy in the face and say, hey, if somebody throws a cup of beer at you, turn the other cheek. So that's, that's, a, that's an issue that was more, um, that you can't really compare that to a young guy that's coming from the hood and already have problems, right? But if a guy's like in that situation, you got to sit him down. Let them know you've been through the same things. You got to somehow, you know, kind of keep it real. But you're older now. I'm older, so I don't, I don't feel the same way I did. But I've been through things. And, you know, you would speak to that young fella and let them know, like, your career is so bright. If you feel a certain – I would tell people, if you feel upset or, or have anxiety or you're depressed about something, use that to feel something positive, Right? If you don't like people or whatever the case may be, use that to feel, to, to you know, to feel like a social impact initiative that you love, you know, whether it's animals, whether it's, um, uh, 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 you know, animal, um, animals in the sea and, and lions or dogs or, or, or people or something attach yourself to and use that to make a difference. That's what you know, it would be something along those lines, you know, if I had a little bit more time to prepare for it. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, 
personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Take me back to the league for a minute. Uh, what surprised you the most uh, about life in the NBA or about the NBA? Like, like if you were going back to talk to a young uh, freshman in college, uh, uh, Ron Artest, and you were able to say, here's what's going to surprise you the most about the NBA. What, what's, what, would, what surprised you about being in the NBA once you actually were in it and got to look behind closed doors? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, um Everything's so surprising because you guys, I mean, when you when you get that first check, it's just like unbelievably crazy at that point because you're literally on your own. You have no one to really answer to if you have no, if you feel that way, you know. And for me personally, it wasn't the greatest thing for me because I, you know, I was like, you know what, I ain't talking to nobody <laughs> because, and I ain't got to answer nobody no more and get the hell out of it. And that, that's not the way to approach it. So the money 
could it could be your worst enemy if you don't have a good support system. You know, uh, and you see, we've seen that happen time in and time out. You know, to all sorts of people, not even just athletes and entertainers, but also, you know, um, tech founders who sell their company for a billion dollars. Or it happens to the to, to the best of them. You know, run into cash and not not ready for the cash. You know, that's so interesting that you say that. When I think about the young fellow who started Zappos, um, who recently passed away, um, and and you're right, maybe there's some similarities that cut across not just sports and entertainment, but as you're saying, uh, early wealth that may come from, from tech or, or, or something else. Um, uh, Ron, tell me about the most talented uh, guys who never made it. Because we all know about the Kobe's and the Michaels and the others, but I assume as someone who came up in New York, who played AAU ball, et cetera, you know, I've had Jason Kidd and other people tell me that there were even more talented guys than me at my boys and girls club or at my, you know, at the park I used to go to. What about for you? Who were some of the most talented people who never, uh, never became household names? I, I mean, I heard Jason Kidd say that one time in an interview also, but one, one guy, um, when I played against LeBron James, I was with the Lakers, the Cavs, I always say LeBron James, but it's the Cavs. <laughs> um, on Christmas, 2010, I had my boy Chatty in my head. Mike Chatfield was a really good player. Um, when he was 16, he left um, the hood to go to a juvenile delinquent facility. He was in the streets. Um, he's the only one that he beat me 32 to two one time in my in my hood. And he was always the best. When he went to jail, I was I, I became the best at that age. You know, that's how I became the best at that age in my in, my, in the hood. But it, it it really was Mike Chatfield. And then Mike Chatfield later died. He died. Um, um, he got shot up um, later on. He did a, a bad a drug transaction. It was on Daily News. His body was on the front of the paper. Um, and um, another another gentleman, Lloyd Newton, passed away on a basketball game. He got stabbed through the heart. Another player from my neighborhood would have died on the court. Um, really talented. Kenny Ito from my neighborhood. He was really good. He played with Lloyd Daniels and Rod Strickland at Oak Hill. He got shot in the leg. He got shot in the groin. And his career was over. Um, then we had a few... Another gentleman that I played against, he's still living, I think, but I was uptown in Kingdom. I brought the Maloose to a game, a streetball game in the hood. And this when the Maloose owned the Kings. And then this guy, um, I forget his name, but he gave me 57 in my prime defensively. Um, seven days out of jail, seven days out of jail. And I was like, my, wait, 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 wait. You said 57, 57, nobody 57. He scored 57 on you in your prime, in my prime, seven days out of jail, seven days out of jail. And I was so mad and I was, I was training hard. I was 26 Mm. or 27, like in my prime. And I was so mad. We almost got into a fight. And we was in his hood, which was, like, kind of dumb. I had the Maloofs there. Owners of the Kings, with one security, it was about maybe 2,000 people out because it was King Dome was just crazy watching the game. And I'm literally about to get it going <laughs> in somebody else's hood. Um, I was so mad. but he And he hit the game winner off the glass on me to win it off the glass. And I'm like, and after the game, I'm like, my goodness, <laughs> Like, where do you play at? 
<laughs> He's like, I was in prison. I'm like, what? <laughs> he gave you 57. So, so, so he could have played in the league for sure. For sure. Wow. For sure. I wish I could get his name because in New York City, everybody got like streetball names. Right. And the crazy thing is I only played against him once because he was in jail. The whole time he was in jail, I was I was running, I was pretty much running street ball in New York City. I, I, I leave the league and I go to the city and play in every single park while I was in the league, while I was the All Star. Watson, 114th and 119th and Second Avenue, um, Sun, Hoops in the Sun, Rucker, West Fourth, Soul in the Hole, Gershwin Park in Brooklyn, everywhere, outside concrete. <laughs> but I used to take the train to the game, and while I was in the NBA, making millions. Um, um, but it was so many really good players, definitely so many really good players um, that I'm like, wow, you know, you can make the NBA, but the NBA, it takes a lot to make it. You gotta do, you gotta have good grades. Your mind gotta be right. You can't be going to jail. You can't have a hot attitude. There's so many things that gotta go right. You got to have the right agent. The general manager got to like you. <laughs> There's so many things that got to go right for you to make it to the NBA. Uh, w- which coach loved you the best? Which coach did you vibe with? I actually got a major love from all my coaches. I'm not, um, but I didn't give that same love back. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, I was a headache. Um, but when you look at uh, Coach uh, Tim Floyd, he really inspired me to play defense. Uh, uh, I love his defensive practices. Amazing. And then Coach Bill Cartwright. Uh, Bill Cartwright tried to keep my head on straight. Bill Cartwright caught me at the beginning of my debacle at Chicago when I was just insane and doing crazy things detrimental to the team. And then I went to Indiana, and Isaiah Thomas, I was supposed to change my life a little bit. And then Isaiah Thomas was kind of getting through to me. But we clashed a little bit, but he would keep it real. He's from Shock, Chicago. He punched me in my chest one time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wait, wait, him. Isaiah, baby faced Isaiah? Isaiah's not baby faced, man. Isaiah is a he's a monster. <laughs> Isaiah not baby faced. He's he a handsome guy, but he is a, he's not a game. He's not a game. He punched me in my chest in the game. I loved it. <laughs> but some people think I didn't like it, but I loved it. <laughs> Um, and then Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle caught me. Rick Carlisle, I love Rick Carlisle because when he caught me, I was in therapy heavy. And Rick Carlisle, he understood it, but he also, he addressed everything right then and there. He took no <laughs> Rick Carlisle was no, no jokes, and I was most successful under him. Uh, and then, then I went to Sacramento with Rick Adelman, and Rick Adelman, he got the love back because after the brawl, I wanted, I just, I wanted to give up. I actually wanted to retire before the brawl. I was already stressed before the brawl. <laughs> by the way, I put in my retirement papers before the brawl. At 23 years old, I was highly stressed. Um, and then, I wish I would have retired because I wouldn't have gotten to the brawl. I wish I would have just retired, but somebody talked me out of retiring. And then, um, you know, Rick Carlisle got that love back. And, he, and I told Rick Carlisle, when I got to Sacramento, I said, Rick, I really appreciate you having me on your team, but I really don't feel like playing. I'm out of shape, and I don't really feel it. I said, you can bring me off the bench. I don't want to disrespect you, 
but you can bring me on the bench. And Rick Carlisle said, he said, Ron, we're going to go as far as you take us. And we was in last place in the West in January. And when he said that, I said, okay, okay. And then we made it to the playoffs. And, I, and then I came out in the papers the next day, and I said, we going to the playoffs. And everybody laughed, TNT, everybody. <laughs> Ron just said, we went to the playoffs and almost beat the Spurs. Almost beat the Spurs. The Spurs won the championship. Because I knew I'm that type of player. But mentally was there. And then and then, um, and then, then um, uh, Coach Musselman came. I love Coach Musselman. We partied a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Coach Musselman. I love Coach Coach Musselman and Coach um, and Coach Reggie Theus. I love those guys. I love those guys because we had a great time together. But I gave I gave uh, I was a headache for Reggie Theus uh, in practice, and then I went to uh, to Houston where Rick Adelman. I never had problems with Rick. Actually, one time I had a problem with Rick. <laughs> um, I called a timeout without him approving it. I was mad. I said timeout, <laughs> and that's the one time Rick got mad at me. He came to me. Don't ever use one of my timeouts. Ever, ever take one of my timeouts. And I'm like, it's a timeout. I'm not happy. Timeout. <laughs> and that's the only time that he. <laughs> that's the only time he got mad at me. Um, and then, um, and then I went to the Lakers with PJ. And by that time, I was already in meditation, and I literally looked up to PJ from a kid. And at the point where I was at in my life with PJ, it was a blessing. It was even though me and PJ got in some arguments in practice, <laughs> even though we got some arguments, but it was a blessing, super blessing. And then I later, then after PJ was Mike Brown, and by the time I was with Mike Brown, I was actually, um, I was actually uh, becoming less interested in basketball at that time because um, the passion that I had, it was too much. It was chaotic passion. So Mike Brown got mad at me one time. He said, Ron, uh, I need more energy. I need more energy. But when I'm practicing my meditation sessions, the whole thing was, if I get really excited, I can't control those levels. So, like, even if I'm really happy because I dunked on someone, for me, I can't control the excitement. Me being really happy is like me being really mad. It's the same thing. you right. So I was trying to uh, relax in games so I could finish my career out without any problems. Then Mike Brown says, I need more. I need more. And then literally it was right when I elbowed James Harden, like the next possession. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Mike Brown. You could have, you could, you could have broken James Harden's face. Well, I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't. Well, the thing was this, when I got the dunk, cause usually I would dunk, shoot a three, just relax. Even when I hit that three in the championship, just relax. That's what I practiced with my therapist. Um, but when I got the dunk, I was like, ah. <laughs> and then I got James Harden gave me a put. I didn't know it was him, by the way. Somebody pushed me from behind. Not a play, it was a light shove, but I was just like, get off me, right? But when I'm like, get off me, his head was right there. Literally. Bad timing. I'm not gonna say perfect timing. Bad timing. Um, and then I'm like, damn it! I just got I just got the citizenship award. Literally, just got the citizenship award. You know what I'm saying? Which was really important to me. Um, so that really hurt me that time. But Mike Brown was cool. 
And then I got um, after Mike Brown, we had um, I went to the Knicks for Woodson. And with Woodson, I kind of um, I wanted to play. Um, I really actually Woodson's one of the best defensive coaches that I know. He's people didn't like some of his, his strategies, but I'm going to steal a lot of his stuff. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but I, I was towards the end of my career. So and I was in New York. And then when I got to New York, I went to my first game in New York City from my hood. Like, I went to the hood. I, I took a nap in one of my people's uh, apartments, got on the train with my people, and got went to the garden. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? New York stuff. Um, and I think um, I wanted to win a title so bad for New York, I had no control. I was literally an immature veteran in New York City. And the problem was I wanted a championship so bad, and I don't care who – I literally would have chopped my head off for a championship in New York City. Um, who, who's, on that, who's on that team with you, Meta? Carmelo Anthony, J.R. Smith, um, Iman Shumpert, um, Kenny Martin. I got into it with everybody because every day in practice, I'm like, we got to get this ring. I don't know how we're going to get it, and I'm not even playing, and I just came off a meniscus injury. So I got a bad knee, and I want to win a title. It's all bad. And I don't care. It's like, we got to win this title in New York City. This is the only chance I got because they passed me up and never drafted me. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this is the only time to live. This is it. And I wish I could have cared less. And that's why, that you know, I wish I could have cared less. <laughs> you know? So I, had a real, I didn't have the greatest experience with Mike Woodson. And then my next coach was Luke Walton. And by that time, by the time I got to Luke Walton, I still want to compete. Luke Walton gave me a really big – well, actually, I'm sorry, Byron Scott and then Luke Walton. And Byron Scott was great. By that time, I was mentoring the young guys, right? And Luke Walton was amazing because in practice, he kept track of every single game, every drill that you win. So it gave me a chance to compete even though I wasn't playing, and I finished number one. And they had everybody. I was the oldest guy. Yeah, you know, Lou Williams, Tariq Black, Lou Dane. Every game, I wish I could have recorded some practices. I, I, I finished number one with 118 wins, 118 wins on the board. And, but I was, you know, so, but with Luke Walton, I really wanted to play and I was really upset, but I never showed it. And I was really happy about that. <laughs> so Luke Walton was my best experience, <laughs> not getting into any issues. And, I, and you know what? I really um, respected the fact that he picked me back up, even though I was older than him. And he gave me a chance to, like, it, it was a hell of a send-off. The Lakers gave me a hell of a send-off. You know, um, Meta, you make, you make me think about something, which is that relationship between coaches and players. Because a lot of the coaches either never played in the league or they were not great players um, or they're a lot older. How much, how much intimidation, how much respect, how much – linkage is there because a guy like Greg Popovich never played in the league or Phil Jackson was never a star right and so what is that relationship like well but one thing about Phil he got two titles in New York City so he's a god to me (laughs) he is a god but um but um I think some of the best coaches are nine stars because you see it from a different lens 
it's a team game. Um, when you're a star, sometimes you're, you know, you could be thinking differently, right? So that's why coaches that are not in the limelight could help because they have patience. Sometimes they was on the bench. They have to have patience because <laughs> you ain't getting off that bench. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that when you coach, you understand a little bit more. And luckily for me, I, I had the, I had the, I had opportunities where I was the man. And then I had, I, I had opportunities where I was a role player. I literally experienced both, you know, um, and I understand a little bit about, you know, uh, coaching a group, sacrifice, you know, um, and things like that. Matt, tell, tell me this. Um, one of the things that surprised me about, uh, I don't know if you remember that story with the Miami Dolphins six or seven years ago, where that one offensive lineman, Jonathan Martin, said he was being uh, bullied by some of the other players. You remember that story? No, uh, no I don't remember that story. How, how much, what happens in the locker room that would surprise us, uh, normal folks who are just watching the game? What kind of drama is there that most of us don't see? Well, a lot of things you can't talk about. Um, I got a lot of stories, and I hope none of them come out. <laughs> um, all right, give me, give me, give me the two, give, give, give me the two best. Give me your two best stories. Well, I think, I think one of the crazy ones was when I used to um, drink Hennessy when I was with the when I was a rookie in Chicago, and I used to drink during the games. But I, I, I would literally, um, it was so immature. I would get dressed in my uniform, my my my, um, my warm up, and literally walk out of United Center, up the, up the driveway, to the liquor store, and buy some a pint of Hennessy and bring it back down. And I think, like, um, those type of things was public uh, because, you know, it just made news and whatever. And I rapped about it one time, which I shouldn't have rapped about it, but I did. And um, it, that, that, that's me personally. That was me personally, an immature, unstable, chaotic kid, um, which I, you know, but everybody be going through different things. Like you'll see some stories, you know, um, even an incident with, um, with you know, with, with Gil and my boy, um, Crane from from the Wizards. It's like so many things be happening. How do you minimize it? You need people like LeBron James. You need people like Derek Fisher, um, like Shane Battier, you know, uh, to be in that locker room. You know, to really be in that locker room and be okay, guys. Things getting out of hand. Okay. Uh, player X, things is getting out of hand. Or, hey, let's go to dinner. Yo, we going to lunch tonight. We going to go to a movie. Those type of things is really important to have. That's why I really like LeBron because even though people didn't really like the fact that he was really welcoming to everyone, it was kind of not, not our style, right? But when you look at everything that happened, you need that. You need people bringing people together. Hey, guys on the other team, how you doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you tonight, and I'm the MVP, but I like you, <laughs> right? Let's get some gentleman time. And guess what? You're never going to win. <laughs> That's LeBron, <laughs> right? Guess what? You're not going to win this year, buddy, <laughs> but I like you. <laughs> I can't deal with that. <laughs> The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. All right, Meta, give me your top five players of all time. Give me your starting five. Who's the Meta? Who's the Meta five? Uh, Bill Russell. Okay. Um, the, 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 probably probably the greatest player ever played. Got twelve rings. I mean, what, what we you know what, what are we talking about? <laughs> Bill Russell. Um, I would say uh, Will Chamberlain. What are we talking about? <laughs> 50 and 28, like, come on, right? So, Will Chamberlain, uh, I would say Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. This is really tough. I can't it's, – it's so difficult. <laughs> it's so difficult. All right, all right, you got two more spots. Who are you putting in those last two spots? All right, when you talk about, when you talk about top five, which is really difficult, by the way <laughs> – um, um, 
you have you have a bucket. So you'll put LeBron, you'll put Kobe in that bucket. Maybe after Durant's career, we're gonna see. We'll see. But right now, we can't throw him in the top five. Oh, you think Durant could be that good in the end? We gotta wait. We gotta wait and see. Okay. He's obviously that good, but we gotta give that we gotta we gotta give that one some time. We also gotta give Stephen Curry some time. We don't know what he's gonna do. This guy is literally amazing, right? This this low guy's amazing, and we don't know what's gonna happen there. So there's a couple there's a couple careers that we need to see, you know, in. Like I, I we gotta literally wait till LeBron retires to to really fully appreciate him. We gotta wait, like let him retire. Not appreciate, but for me, I already appreciate him. But I want I gotta wait till he retire to then sit back and really measure this thing. How good is this guy? Because he's getting better every year. This is unbelievable. You know, this is he. He literally has the opportunity to be number one. Like he literally has the opportunity to be the best player to ever play the game. You you think he could be better than he can't be better than Jordan though? His career's not over. But I don't really care what happens in his career. You you think there's a world in which Anything could happen that could make him better than Jordan? No, that's not possible. But if, 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 we, if, if we break it down, people don't talk about Jordan retired because his dad passed away and he was hurt like any man would be. People don't talk about that Jordan would have got two more rings. Now, one would argue, I don't want to disrespect the Rockets, right? But Jordan left, came back, got three more. So that shows you maybe eight rings potentially. Then he left on top. <laughs> <laughs> this is unbelievable. This guy's unbelievable. But with LeBron James, 10 times to the finals, no one can stop him in a class of his own. This is a different, we're having a different conversation. Um, strong as an ox, we got to wait till his career over. You can't, because people have been judging LeBron. Is he number one? LeBron sucks since he was 17. He came into the league at 17. And people was like, no, you're not going to be better than Jordan. No, no, no. They try to curse him. They tried to curse him since he was 17. He missed a shot. See, he sucks. He can't shoot. He he's not, he's only a 17-year-old baby. Right, right, right. <laughs> he's 17 years old. Hold what are we, what are we doing here? 18. You know, he is he's handled the pressure uh beautifully. Now let me ask you now let me ask you a different question because I love when before you said you play pickup everywhere. What made you do this app? Why did you decide to do this app? You know, I, I, I did this app because, um, you know, you want to democratize and decentralize, give people an opportunity to compete and play in front of people. Right now, if you don't make it to certain um, leagues around the world, you might be in the hood and you don't get that opportunity. But now with this social media, you see people are getting the opportunity to showcase themselves. I think now we take it to another level. I really hope that I can get these corporations to support, you know, what I'm doing because I'm actually paying players to play in different games. And we're treating these players how they should be treated. If you're an amazing player in America, you should be recognized for being an amazing player. Now, the other thing is a lot of people dream of playing with NBA players. The cool thing about my platform if you're a recreational player, you could potentially be matched up with an elite player, you know, through pickup, indoor or outdoor. So you got a chance to really experience playing against amazing people. 
And why do elite players need recreational players? Because we need to play. You know, you need to play five on five. So I'm actually building a community amongst basketball uh, enthusiasts. Um, we also help the app organically trains agents who want to be aspiring agents, aspiring coaches. And we really pay attention to the users that's coming onto the app. And how can we give you a great experience? So no matter where you go in the country, that you're going, you can get a really good experience. And that experience is going to be tracked. People are actually going to be watching what you're doing. It's not going to be a thing where you play in the tournament and nobody knows. How many, how many times has that happened in Idaho, in Michigan, in Wyoming, in Miami? You had 30 points in a league and nobody knows. <laughs> right? And that's why this happens here. Now, Meta, where is the best pickup basketball you've ever played in the country? Where's, where's the best pickup basketball? The best pickup basketball, Rico Hines, the UCLA runs, probably some of the best. Um, I mean, it depends what age, my neighborhood. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, sometimes you'll get guys who had real beef playing with each other. And that's tense. <laughs> that get tense. Now, 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 for people who don't know, why are we doing this this conversation while you're in your car? Oh, in, in my car because, um, well, my son tire got messed up. I had to pick up his car, right? I, I had to move from my desk to pick up my son's car, and it's a loner, by the way. His car is getting fixed, um, and then when I get there to pick up his car, my license is not in my wallet, so I had to get my license text message to me and my insurance card so it was a debacle today it's a total debacle today <laughs> well you know i appreciate i appreciate you doing this with me hey i'm gonna finish off what i call rapid fire i'm gonna hit you with a, a couple questions i want your immediate reaction okay first question could ron artest have made it to the nfl yes what what position uh well wide receiver <laughs> Interesting. Okay, a Calvin Johnson type. Okay, I, I see that. I see that. Yeah. Um, who's your favorite comedian? Um, Seinfeld. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Seinfeld. Uh, uh, your favorite movie? Titanic. Uh, where would you love to tr visit? Where would you love to travel that you haven't had a chance to visit yet? Madagascar. Interesting. Why Madagascar? It's a beautiful place. It's in Africa. It's a beautiful island. And the movie's amazing, and it made me want to go to Madagascar. I've never been. If you could have dinner with any person, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Michael Jackson. Because? Um, 37 Weeks, number one, Thriller, his album. I love his music. Um, uh, uh, best fighter in the NBA. Who was the best fighter? You said you liked to fight a lot back in the day. Who was the best fighter in the NBA? I think the best fighter would probably be, I would say Shaq. <laughs> Shaq and Yao Ming. You know, Charles Barkley said Shaq wasn't a good fighter. Man, you can't beat Shaq. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, seven feet tall is a lot. Seven feet, 350 pounds is a lot. I agree. 480 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was good size. He was uh he was definitely good size. Um uh uh um Ron, I was surprised. Somebody told me that you were a math major in college. Is that right? My first major was architecture, um, and the problem was it was too hard to do those. Uh, it was too hard to do the projects and then get to practice. At, a friend for Schiller practice, by the way, 
at six at five forty five a.m. <laughs> my last project I had, my last architect project, I just threw it on the floor. <laughs> I said I can't do this. I need to get out of this class. It's too hard. And then um then I went to major in art in uh charcoal, and then um and then um and then I was gonna pick math, but by that time. I was going into my sophomore year and then I was going to the NBA and I just, I didn't go back to class. <laughs> yeah. I didn't go back to class. Now, were you good at math or no? Um, I wasn't great. I was competitive. Uh, anytime somebody said I can't do it, I'll try to do it. And, and I, and I wasn't good at math as a kid and it kept me failing. And then I became good. I was failing in ninth grade and I, you know, reading a math, um, my first year at 60, a D average. And my senior year, I had a 98 average. You know, because I'm really competitive. And um, that was the only reason I picked architecture and math, because when people say I can't do it, I shall do it. And um, I, I, I had no interest um, in being a mathematician. But, you know, um, I'm really competitive. And the math is it, so competitive. Um, literally, I would be in my neighborhood sometimes and buy math books and just start doing math problems just to get a good grade. I did anything it was going to take. Um, and, and I passed my SATs by 20 points and it was because of math i failed reading and math was the reason why and so i forgot i, I like it. yeah i like it I don't, i'm not the greatest math student but i like it man what's the best advice you give people about dreaming fearlessly because given where you grew up given some of the things that happened and that you saw it probably wasn't guaranteed that you were going to make it to the nba it wasn't guaranteed that you were going to become a good father it wasn't guaranteed that you were going to find your own mental health and healing. So what's the best advice you can give people about how to dream fearlessly and make those dreams come true? I would say uh, the best advice I would say is patience. Stick with it. Nothing happens overnight. So I would say, like, the same way I was focusing on defense when I was playing basketball and 45 minutes of no dribbling, just running, and then start to work out, that's what, you, that's what I would say um, take those type of approaches uh, not leaving any stones unturned, such as Kobe will often quote Stephen Curry. He would say that a lot. And I would say, have some patience with the hard work. It's not going to happen in a day. It's going to happen after a while. Hmm. That's I, lo I love the way you said that. Have some patience with the hard work. Um, uh, uh, Matt, I hope I, uh, I hope I get to meet you in person. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything uh, uh, that was going on for you today. And, and thank you for some, making some time uh, to join me on the show. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely, man. I really uh, had a great time conversating with you. Thanks for having me. Not at all. It's totally my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts